Hello and welcome to the W. The W. This episode we're talking about why. And I have a question for you, Louise. Hit me. Why is Disney evil? Oh boy! <laughs> Strapping myself in. All right, we have we have several we have several like touch points today. We're gonna focus on the sort of cultural impact viewpoint. I'm gonna focus on their operating as a company uh, rather than the inherent issues within the pro the content they produce mostly. But I they, might focus on the content they produce as my own personal grievances. That, that's that's fine. That would be a good way to, to balance it out. But of course, it is well documented and well known, as it should be, that uh, Disney has had very uh, stereotypical portrayals of women and people that are not white for a long time. Um, Before that, you go any further, can I introduce our special guest? Which is at the table we have Walt Disney's frozen head. Oh, right here. Oh, you're looking good, from my man. Cryostasis. <laughs> it's Walt Disney's decapitated body himself. He's uh, speechless. No, just that. That's a shame. That's not what Futurama taught me. Futurama <laughs> made me think to- disembodied heads would have a voice, but unfortunately. He's not here to defend himself, and so I am Is free. Is being taken over by Disney yet? It's in Disney Plus. Which make, it's, makes me think it's part of Disney now. It's Fox, right? Is it? Oh, yeah. Because everything's owned by Disney. Segwaying True. into the all media is Disney media now. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been a while that Disney is coming under fire. Even back in, like, the 1988, I think, Walt Disney's nephew stepped down from sort of leadership roles he said he felt that creatively the company was not going anywhere interesting and it was very stifling this was back in 1988 uh, and that's when he he stepped down it was also quoted that he was rapacious and soulless um what does rapacious mean rapacious is aggressively greedy this is back in 1988 uh, there are also obviously problems, like I said, with uh, Disney himself as a figure, uh, Walt Disney, that is, and how he was, he, he was racist. <laughs> uh, and people have tried to argue against it, with like, oh, he was a product of his society oh, and his time. Victim of his time. Yeah, victim of his time. And this, this is a quote from his biographer. Uh, his name is Gabler. He was like, Walt Disney was not a racist. He never either publicly or privately made disparaging remarks about blacks or asserted white superiority. Like most white Americans of his generation, he was racially insensitive, implying that turning a blind eye to racism is is not a stance within itself, and you can somehow be neutral <laughs> in the hate, topic of racism. That. Yeah, like, it's like... <laughs> That shine away from just calling someone a racist. Yeah. Like, oh, they're just insensitive to people about their races. It's so PC. Yeah, but uh, he was, he, well, I'll come back to Disney I, uh, later, to be fair. I feel like he built up this, this image as a futurist and a, a, and a dream weaver that I would like to deconstruct. But we're on the long road here. Uh, and we gotta move as fast as I'm sure the trams do in Disneyland. Choo choo, moving on. Aladdin. Like a little steamboat down a river. <laughs> I said I wouldn't touch that much on content, I'm not gonna get into it, but I think the most flagrant example of uh, cultural insensitivity in Disney content itself would be Aladdin, where they literally had to change. A line of a song, and I think they had to re-release it uh, because it was originally about Aladdin's um, city. Uh, the line was where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. Agrabah. Yeah. 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 It's it's barbaric, but hey, it's home. This was changed to where it's flat and immense, and the heat is intense. It's barbaric, but hey ho, it's home. They still um, threaten in the movie to. When he steals something, they've threatened to cut off his hand. Cut off his hand, yes. And uh, that was... A, some people criticized that, that changing the single line did not go far enough into sort of sorting out issues in that early sequence of the film. But Disney, that was about as far as Disney was willing to go. Because once they changed the description, Barbaric was no longer referring to the city. 
it was referring to the heat. Uh, so it's fine to use the word barbaric. So they didn't want to change. They didn't want to take that out. But that was my brief summary. Uh, of Ghost the, of the, Edward Said <laughs> continues to haunt us in all known media. Orientalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know Orientalism. Uh, I just uh, didn't recall his name, but yeah, we we did cover that in, in English. For, very interesting and enlightening, especially if we, we were doing like fairy tales at the time, and there was so much of that in fairy tales. Yeah, Walt Disney was was a racist, <laughs> and therefore the things he created for a long time had lived in the shadow of that, let's say. But beyond that, as a company in the wider context of society, and this is what I really want to focus on today, on why Disney is evil, is Disney are massive, if not the biggest, hypocrites in the world of corporations. So be the central crux of my argument. Um, they both have fought very hard and successfully for many years to push copyright extension up to the point where for corporations it's about now 120 years uh, from when a work is created for it to enter public domain and of course have massively profited from works in the public domain uh, by creating their movies on like Pinocchio, uh, Jungle Book, fairy tales in general. Yeah, yeah, Snow Grimm. White, uh, the, the Grim Stories, um, Peter Pan. Yeah. yeah, so they, they made a lot of money doing that, whilst also at the same time using that money to then fight public domain. And they're also plagiarists, <laughs> which is the, the, the biggest insult or injury there, because obviously they, they protect their copyrights so stringently, and whenever they release something, it then becomes the de facto version of that idea. When they're stealing ideas, uh, that becomes even more problematic. You might know, you might not know. Well, I'm when people have accused the Lion King of being very similar to Hamlet. But there's also even an even more similar touching point. I think, yeah, it was Kimba the, the, the White Lion. Kimba was, of course, in, in opposition to Simba. Kimba the White Lion was, was a Japanese cartoon with... Wow, I did not know this. Yeah, yeah. So Kimba the White Lion, was, he was a... Obviously, came before the Lion King. It was a cartoon with a baboon spiritual guide, uh, a comic relief bird, sort of antagonist hyenas, a big bad lion. The one in Kimba is called Claw, as opposed to, you know, the Lion King's scar. And there's even a point where the protagonist will look up into a cloud that takes the shape of his father lion. That vision is both in Kimba the White Lion and the Lion King. It was so flagrant, like the similarities were so flagrant uh, that even The Simpsons made fun of it. Uh, <laughs> where <laughs> uh, a parody Mufasa, uh, Lisa Simpson sees a parody Mufasa in the clouds, and then the Mufasa is like, You must avenge my death, Kimba. Ah, oh, I meant Simba. <laughs> um, so even The Simpsons included. Uh, to, to to the plagiarism that went on there, and even the Simpsons now owned by Disney, or at least on Disney Plus, so there's yeah. some connection. Oh yeah, because it was Fox, right? Simpsons. because yeah. they used to they did a lot of satire of Fox. I remember, like in the Simpsons, they're always like bad mouthing Fox all the way through, like at least the earlier seasons. Yeah, yeah, buying the hand that feeds you. I, I do like when people do that. But now Disney owns it, so maybe that episode's gone. Who knows? <laughs> I haven't seen that one, but yeah, yeah. I have. I have an ivory. But like the real, the real nail in the coffin was the the voice actor for Adult Simba. He just assumed that because he had he had seen Kimba the White Lion, so when he got cast for the role of Simba, uh, he just assumed that the, the two projects were interconnected. Uh, so he has been quoted to say. I thought he meant Kimba, who was a white lion in a cartoon when I was a little kid. So I kept telling everybody I was going to play Kimba. I didn't really know anything about it, but I didn't really care. So even the voice actor for Simba, adult Simba that is, uh, fought for the, in the beginning that he was playing Kimba. Um, wow. Because <laughs> he thought that, yeah, that the works were so interconnected uh, that it was an adaptation of Kimba the white lion, but, but, but no. Uh, the Kimba, the Kimba crew, 
never saw any proceeds, I would think. There was also another thing. Uh, so Roy E. Disney, the guy who stepped down, who said he was rapacious and soulless, has in the past referred to Simba as Kimba, which makes people think, obviously, that Disney were, were, was aware of the similarities between the two. So this, in conjunction with what we're going to discuss a bit later, uh, with their flagrant abuse of power when it comes to copyright, once they're also stealing copyrighted works and just changing things just enough to get away with it, uh, I think is a pretty evil thing to do. But I mean, in I know at least in semi-modern cases that ignorance of the law is not a legal defense. Mm. So if you plagiarize something and you're not aware of it, that is not a defense. But mm. then this is treating multi-million artists as if they were indie artists and mm. keeping them all to the same level is ridiculous because when you have a whole team of producers, record labels, you know, managers, and none of those people, there's no budget there for any of them to do a market research. Yeah. And yet, you know, the same standards are held to like a solo performer. Mm. It's kind of insane. And when you have these multi-million like producers and artists getting away with it, it's kind of like, well, then surely everyone should because they're the ones who cannot have any leg to stand on to mm. say, well, I didn't know. It's like, well, you're a, you're a leading you're a leading star in the field, and if you don't know, <laughs> yeah, no one will. Yeah. You will. So the the only ones that can be to held that standard, yeah. But it seems like, with the more powerful you are, the the less prone to you to having consequences you are, because Atlantis was also uh, thought to be plagiarized from another <gasps> Japanese uh, work. God, I haven't thought about Atlantis in a long time. It was called Nadia the Secret of Blue Waters. I was I was gonna attempt to say the actual name, but I'm I'm not that brave. The, the translation is Nadia the Secret of Blue Waters, and it's claimed that the character designs, the setting, and the storyline is, is pretty much all ripped off from there. And the the Japanese producers of uh, Nadia considered suing uh, Disney for plagiarism, but they just chose not to because. And this is a quote, I believe. Yeah. We would be so terrified about what they would do to them in return uh, that we wouldn't dare. So they, they, they would be so afraid of how Disney might retaliate that they never bothered to try and fight for, for the rights or, or for any sort of recompense. Because uh, Disney just had so much net worth at that point that even if you, I guess even if you succeeded, the legal fees plus any potential ramification from, from Disney fighting back would just be too great to even bother. And they have the power to drag out the case for so long that yeah. you could just like sink the boat before anything comes to conclusion. Yeah. So they said we actually tried to get uh, NHK, which I guess is a production company, uh, to get NHK to pick a fight with Disney, but even the National Television Network of Japan didn't dare to mess with Disney and their lawyers. Uh, we actually did say that we wouldn't actually take them to court Oh, we actually did say that, but we wouldn't actually take them to court. We were so terrified about what they would do. Um, so, yeah, we I guess even in the case of like, just taking on Disney's legal team is too much of a risk, even if you know you're in the right, that there are potential ramifications from that if you don't win, when copyright law can be more malleable than others, that the, full, the, the fallout would be too great for a smaller company to take. Is this like a theme with Japan of like J Japanese like creative content being stolen or repurposed by the West? Hmm. Because I know, for example, have I made you watch um, the animated film Paprika? No. It's one of my favorites. It's really good. Um, it's by Satoshi Khan, who also did um, Paranoia Agent or Paranoia Agent. And he worked in some other like major stuff. Um, but anyway... The whole, long story short, the premise is a psychotherapist who uses a machine to enter into the dreams of other people to try and do therapy in like the subconscious, in the right. dreamscape. Um, mm -hmm. And she does this to try and pursue like this mass terrorist by like moving through dreamscapes to try and hunt down this person who's like attacking people in the psychic world. It's really, really good. Also, very reminiscent to a certain Western film that really hit Hollywood called Inception, which uh, was also about leaping yeah. through dreams upon dreams upon dreams. <laughs> um, they, as far as I know, Paprika was not credited or paid off in any way and definitely precedes Inception. There are a lot of crossovers to it, mm. and it does feel like sort of 
major powerful brands look to Japan specifically、mm. see all this like as per Japanese culture, this very like different to Western culture, this creative sort of field, and dilute that for a Western audience instead of actually crediting the original and different and actually like, amazing and beautiful and challenging experimental work that Japan、yeah. creates and just turn it into like. Like Inception was good, but it's not something like you never hear someone say Inception was my top favorite film of all time. It <laughs>、yeah. was fine. It was、yeah. good. It's just not. It wasn't paprika. It wasn't. It wasn't paprika. <laughs> I cannot state how like weird and like kind of upsetting and scary, but also beautiful paprika is.、Mm. No, yeah, sounds good.、Uh, it's a.、Uh, it's just playing by different rules because of your network. Really, like it, it would almost be. More comforting to live in a world where like everything was fair game, even though it'd be sort of like copyright anarchy. But then、uh, the companies with with this sort of immense wealth wouldn't just get to breach copyright whilst also trying to enforce it <laughs> at the same time. Just steal with one hand and then like punish the thieves of the other. <laughs> yeah, so they take liberally, well, allegedly. Sorry. Sorry, allegedly. They liberally take it from. Yeah. They, they liberally and allegedly take work、uh, from Japanese artists and reappropriate it. But also, at the same time, since 1990, the Walt Disney Company has lobbied, lobbied for copyright extension.、Uh, so the Copyright Term Extension Act came about、uh, to delay Mickey Mouse entering the public domain, and therefore. We have collectively named it. It says like everywhere. It's like the detractors have named it the Mickey Mouse law. No, it's the Mickey Mouse Protection Act. He did it. It's for Mickey Mouse. He extended copyright twice actually. So、uh, people obviously at the time there were opponents to it because it's unconstitutional.、Uh, this is very much in an American、uh, point of view because that's where it all happened. And I guess everyone followed America、uh, when they when they bowed out to Disney because. The the original idea between the copy behind the copyright act was to promote the the progress of science and useful arts,、um, and obviously endlessly proliferating copyright for for corporations doesn't really incentivize any sort of creative or artistic artistic production to just endlessly extend copyright for corporations.、Uh, so it was deemed as, at the time as unconstitutional, but as of everything. Disney had enough money to make it happen, <laughs> so Mickey's、uh, eternal copyright protection would be putting the proverbial cart before the horse.、Uh, people said because obviously the idea was that we would have copyright to progress art. The copywriting of work was a tool to help artists, where as now it had sort of turned around, whereas like the copywriting works was a tool to protect. The, the the work itself at the detriment to artists who might want to use it. So Mickey just took precedent over anyone who might wanted to creatively use that image or the the symbology of, of of Mickey. So for a long time, yeah, since like the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, they just kept pushing it up and pushing it up、uh, through the Mickey Mouse laws up until the point where they got their hundred and twenty year, I think. Uh, period. Obviously, it was always being put in retroactively,、uh, so he just kept pushing up Mickey's date, and by pushing up Mickey's date, obviously, he was pushing up everything else. So the second Mickey goes down, which is going to happen, twenty twenty four, everything else is going to start coming to public domain as well. So finally, we've we've reached a point where works can actually enter public domain again, but because of Mickey and because of Disney, it's been pushed up by like. Fifty years.、Um, so it's sort of like rising tide instead of raises all ships, sinks all ships. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A rising yeah. tide drawings all lowland <laughs> settlements. Yeah, exactly. It's just I think it's a bit sad to to, to think about how they just there is now this fifty year period where just basically nothing entered public domain just because Disney wanted to keep their mascot. On like the amount of work that might have been produced during that time, 
or game out of like potential artists who would have passed and not had the chance to to use to create that work during that time. I mean, it's all speculative, but I I believe it would have impacted our culture to to have this sort of for this this privilege that people in earlier generations had when it was only like it was uh fifty six years because it was 28 years but then they'd have to renew it if they were alive so if they died within the first 28 years it'd be public domain but if they were alive to renew it then it'd be 56 years but the 56 years was the maximum whereas now it's being extended so much 120 years i think for corporations so it means that disney has manipulated law and so i think that is my most informed as to how Disney's evil operates. It seems like a sort of weird sort of two opposing views in terms of American cultural psyche. Got the one hand of like this need for the freedom of speech and the freedom to be able to say and create and do anything you want Mm. versus this very American idea of Disney and like this utopian, idyllic sort of, let me say it, whitewashed sort of <laughs> image of like this fantasy land where you can escape to, which is kind of like the American dream, but like filled with sugar, right? It's mm. Disney. And yet these two like very core ideals seem to oppose each other. And yet, I don't know, it doesn't, it's, Disney seems to somehow like always win despite a lot of cultural stuff at the moment is all about like freedom of speech and freedom to say like, anything you want because you know hate speech laws aren't really a thing in america as they are here Mm -hmm. it's kind of wild that more people aren't angry as but i guess as we aren't americans it's hard to tell what it's like to be in that culture but it feels from the outside that like more people more americans should be upset about the fact that disney as such a mass american symbol is actually being quite anti-american yeah no i Definitely, I think I think after last time, after the one where they pushed it up in 1998, there there was a lot more opposition, and I think even companies, corporations joined in. I think Google took a stance against it, and obviously now with the proliferation of the internet and just how vocal minorities can can become, there has been found in a resistance, and it's hard to tell what prevented it. From being extended this time around if it was COVID-19 due date was coming on, on a steamboat willy becoming public domain the world was literally falling apart and the governments had too much other things to deal with to worry about Disney's copyright maybe it was that maybe Disney didn't think they could get away with it this time uh, because there was too much spotlight on it uh, but finally we have exited the dark age of 50 years where Disney had the leash on on copyright law and we only have two years left to go unless something very drastic happens in 2023 uh, for us to begin to break down the power of, of the Disney symbol, uh, which I think is important when they are becoming increasingly a monopoly on everything. I don't see Warner Bros. being able to compete for very long, so can very easily see a future where Disney is the is the only thing around. <laughs> the only thing that's stopping that is monopoly laws. But Disney has manipulated law before. It it in two instances. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Hello and welcome to The Break. Plugging as always, uh, Radical Art Review. We have a new print edition coming out. Um, at the minute we have a poetry competition international that I am running. Nice. Um, feel free to... Actually, it'll be over by the time you hear this, so <laughs> feel free to see the winning, uh, the winning pitch. Um, also, you can follow us on Twitter now, which will be in our um, bio or little description for this episode. 
we also have a Ko-Fi, which you can send monetary subscription. But due to the nature of this episode, maybe we, we should be asking you to support us socially rather than financially, for now at least. Well, we'll, we'll see if our listeners in Australia or Texas uh, would like to, to help us get exposure. Please tweet this, are you Disney representatives? I want to poke the bear. Poke him good. Poke Pete? Is Pete a bear? You know, Stinky stinky Pete? Mickey I, I Mouse's enemy? No, really? The big, you know, the big... Oh, yeah. I think he might just be a giant dog. Yeah. <laughs> I have a YouTube, but it doesn't have anything on it yet. It might by the time we're coming up. I'm recording a video essay on a little unknown game called The Dark Messiah. I yeah, saw you play on Steam recently, and I was curious. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I'm going for my Steam catalog and playing all the games I bought on sale, but never actually planned to play. Uh, oh, but I've now, got so many. Yeah, <laughs> I have like forty something, but maybe if I finish mine, I'll, I'll start on yours with Steam Share. Um, yeah, I'll join you as a guest. I'll just look over your shoulder and be like, "Ooh." <laughs> Yeah, so I shouldn't have incorporated my face into it yet. Maybe in the next few episodes. For now, it's just my disembodied voice, like now. Are you going to be like the gorillas and be like, oh, I'm never showing my face. And then when you get successful, you'll be like, here I am. <laughs> this is what I look <laughs> That's like. That's exactly the plan. That's basically what every YouTuber does. <laughs> but it, it'll be fun. I, I like I like the video. It's uh, I don't know how to edit, but uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> glowing endorsement for your own your own product but i'm very glad you brought up the disney fantasy because wrapping up their abuses of their power when it comes to to law and their hypocrisy when it comes to that i think it's interesting to think about their power when it comes to culture disney has Disney's foundation comes upon the idea of dreams. And they sell their dreams as something that is accessible to all. Or sort of the way that they produce these fantasies and mass market them out to, to, to every citizen. It's like capitalist equality. If you have money, you can take part in the Disney dream. Everyone is welcome as long as you can pay for it. Yes, that's it. Thank you. That's exactly where I'm going. Disney, the man himself, had ideas about creating idea like utopic societies. Uh, he conceived of something called the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. That sounds like a fallout vault. <laughs> <laughs> it reads like one like if you if you will watch the video later it's sort of presented in that same style it was like he has a narrator and he has a very like a soothing voice and it's like oh in the in welcome the to art. the disney of tomorrow <laughs> yeah that's exactly that's exactly how it sounds like transatlantic oh yeah transatlantic it is shortened to epcot oh i've heard of epcot oh yeah, okay. you've heard of epcot okay yeah so they bought a lot of land in florida and he was designing a utopian autocratic company town. Autocratic meaning, of course, he has a single ruler. Guess who the single ruler is? Disney. Disney yeah. was creating the, his own state where he would be king and, and jury and executioner, probably. You I don't know. know. Also in history of autocrats, the Romanovs of Russia, who famously <laughs> were executed. So, <laughs> yeah. not uh, good to call yourself an autocracy true and like the plans fell through eventually but i think there's still aspects of it which can be seen continuing in the patterns of what disney does so this this idealized community would feature commercial residential and industrial centers and connected via mass multimodal transportation systems which is basically just little trams that you have in their theme parks those trams will now be extrapolated to a city size just taking people back and forth from work it was a very much a futurist idea didn't really seem to have much concrete plans behind it but he when he presented it he was like it's gonna be it was always gonna be changing it's gonna be the the 
the bleeding edge of I don't know what I'm doing right now. <laughs> what the accent is. But he was like, Oh, it's 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 gonna be the future town of the American engineering which was gonna be extrapolated out to help the world. So Disney would create this perfect little town which would serve as an example for the rest of the world and how they should live their lives. That is America, right? Because it's called the American Experiment. So really, Disney is creating America in America, where mm. he is recreating a vision of society based upon capitalism and dreams, which yeah. is vague. But I guess, like, what is his mission statement? Because, like, everyone's version... Because you can't have utopia, <laughs> really. It's like, you cannot create you cannot create a perfect system. And if you try to figure, make a perfect system, it will feel spectacularly because it's impossible <laughs> Yeah, well, his plan, his counter to, to those problems, and, and, and the problem of trying to adapt our current world into, into something that was utopic, was just starting from scratch. That's why he bought this random-ass barren land in Florida that it was just going to change and start from the ground up. Literally, in the Epcot video, it was like, oh, we're going to start from the ground up. So he thought you could create a perfect city by just not having it connected to anything. And you'd have like an airstrip that people would have to fly into it rather than and you just have like underground tunnels for trucks to come in and deliver supplies. But you'd very much be sectioned off from the rest of the world. I guess like the parks are the idea being that Disney is the is the dreamland and everything else is, is just like, you know, lesser. Well, Disney is the, is the paradise that you go to. But I just think that's important to think about. Because then he was never realized, so you can't really critique it. But I think in oh, but we will, <laughs> yeah, but, but we we will, yes. In in thinking about what came after, Disney did develop their own neighborhood after maybe with some ideas of Epcot. It was no longer a city; they they shortened their ambitions. Uh, but it was a neighbor. It's a neighborhood called Golden Oak, and Golden Oak starting prices for houses are the illustrious exclusive community of golden oak is about two million so bargain yeah no definitely (laughs) can i just say that already it's so funny that the name is golden oak because an oak tree through history has been a very useful like thing to like craft and move society forward and a golden oak tree is inherently useless it is inherently a symbol of something natural and normal that has been made utterly useless. <laughs> like, no one can use a golden oak tree. No. It's not contributing to anything. It's pretty. Um... But it, it sparkles, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I can't help but see golden oak as a natural extension of Epcot, as in a utopian... Yeah, they restricted their ambitions to a, a neighborhood rather than a full-blown city. But the idea that there's such a high barrier to entry with wealth. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like this experimental prototype of community of tomorrow. Uh, seeing Golden Oak as a natural progression of that implies that the community of tomorrow is a community of just the rich elite, where therefore you're left to wonder where is everyone else. Everyone else is probably just living outside of their ideal community, coming to the park, sinking their hard-earned money on the Disney dream, and then leaving so that that money can then be funneled back to the elite that live there. Are they um, in like cardboard oak or like tin oak? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If the Disney idea was propagated uh, elsewhere like he wanted to, to the rest of the world, maybe they would have been in like the little underground tunnels where the, where the trucks would pass by. The whole tunnel thing is funny because it makes you think of, in terms of you saying that he was a futurist in a sense, he looked towards the future, makes me think of the actual historical movement of the futurists who like were people a literary movement who believed in abolishing the concept of history it was a very mm. radical movement they believed that we should like burn all artworks we should destroy museums because we're doomed to repeat our cycles of creativity because we're always looking backwards and the only way to like move forward and create because they were modernists the only way to create true new art was to destroy all evidence of the past and start fresh right 
but then it comes to this idea of like that sort of sounds like what he was doing like new new area barren land we're going to start fresh mm -hmm. but then it's the idea of like just because you reject history doesn't mean you're not you're free of its cycles because mm -hmm. he's already creating like a sort of like a victorian edwardian upstairs downstairs of like you know like the the manor house with all the servants in the servants quarters or in hidden walls and corridors mm -hmm. like he's sucking away like the foundation of society to create this utopian vision i'm like this has been done my dude like this yeah. is a whole period of history when this already happened yeah no it definitely wasn't like it was a vision as this sort of a circle where you have the central hub in the middle where people would go into work and then it would sort of expand outwards and then with the farthest rims would be the the communal areas but in in that upper level there couldn't be any cars and there couldn't be any trucks it would just be his little electric little trams that he he was so fond of as they're called like people movers or Jesus. people displacers or something like that That's some like also silly the name. fact that it's just like having like a no car zone it's like it's not the fact that it's environmentally friendly and it will help the world it's because it's more of a it's a more of a pollution in terms of like visual aesthetics than it is for helping do you know what i mean like yeah. these inner circles are don't have any like cars or fumes because that's what you're paying for opposed to it helping anyone which yeah. i feel like says a lot for all this it's like yeah we can have our big heavy trucks underneath and choking <laughs> under her but as long as the middle people are fine it's all good look at us yeah, yeah. So there was, yeah, there was the trucks and there was the cars and then there was the, the upper layer where pedestrian is king. So that was his vision. But then obviously they didn't get to build it because he, he passed away soon after. And then Golden Oak came about. He was run over by an electric tram. Yeah. He was <laughs> the first trolley problem. <laughs> I actually don't know how he died. I'd have to look it up. And I just, I, I've brought in a few quotes from from the the Mickey Mouse blog about Golden Oak, which I think is very indicative of the sort of mentality that went in, into building it, and the sort of mentality that continues to propagate the the idea of the Disney dream. In referring to Golden Oak, he says, "Every town is a neighborhood that's nicer than the rest. It's a place where the richest people in the city live." When it says that, uh, this is the, to be fair. This is the Mickey Mouse blog. I'm not sure how official it is, but I don't feel like someone could get away with calling something the Mickey Mouse blog for long if Disney weren't okay with them. Um, I just can't believe is... that they openly just said it was the, <laughs> the richest myth. Like, wow, you're really just admitting to that. <laughs> Isn't it funny, though? Sorry to interrupt, but like that... Because I know like when studying English, the idea of like a Mickey Mouse degree often came up of like something that's inherently like useless or mm. like presentational and like has no substance. So it's quite funny that things are called mickey mouse something because immediately in my mind i was like oh so like a silly fake blog, a mickey mouse blog. <laughs> that's I'm sure disney would hate to think that that's taken off i don't know how that became a thing though i don't know I, i've yeah. only heard it in terms of like degrees honestly i'm usually referred to like as always art subjects only there's never mm. like a, a stem subject that's ever referred a mickey to, like, mouse yeah a mickey mouse like <laughs> oh you're doing like uh i don't know like the studies of like a fish eyesight like in deep waters like oh what's that gonna solve <laughs> it's like no no it's it's useful <laughs> yeah it's interesting Sorry i like to hear a marine biologist by the way <laughs> <laughs> you're very important they're they're all very irate <laughs> we love all education <laughs> getting out the fish forks um More like the fish forks <laughs> fish forks jesus <laughs> uh <laughs> I think they have some investment in keeping the idea of, of Mickey as a symbol of lighthearted fun. I don't think they would I'd necessarily mind actually having something called the Mickey Mouse degree. I think when people start to take the symbol of Mickey seriously as I'm trying to do, that's when they sort of start stripping away of their of their idyllic vision of their dream something kingdom. Sinister. Yeah. We'll, we're on Golden Oak for a bit and then we'll get back to Mickey in just a second. <laughs> Um, the narrator asked himself, what's Golden Oak? They wanted to construct a new community comprised of Disney fanatics. If things went perfectly, the richest people in the world would live there. Okay, that's an exaggeration, but only slightly. Here's my problem with this. My problem with it is the idea that they built a community for Disney fanatics as if this, the barrier to entry is how much you love Disney. 
whereas upon you'd think that the prices would be a bit inflated for being in the Disney neighborhood. But really the biggest barrier to entry is the two million. Like you don't need to be a Disney fanatic. You don't need to know Disney to to live there. There's no exclusivity in the in the sense of being a Disney fan. The only exclusivity is in the sense of being rich and being a Disney fan. <laughs> like, I guess there would be no incentive to live in Golden Oak as opposed to, I don't know, LA if you weren't interested or a fan of Disney. But I think there's still a measure of, even if you're not too keen on their content, a measure of elite status of living in this sectored off millionaire neighborhood. Well, it's kind of funny if which you could just afford to buy one of these places and you hated Disney mm. and if this neighborhood actually manifested as they're trying to seemingly force it sort of like a weird like this is a bit far but I don't know what the right word but like a sort of genetic determinism mm. of like only a certain type of person will come here and exist here and this community will only be this one thing mm. like when and, and, and it's funny that someone will come in there not have any desire to be part of it and <laughs> like what would they be ousted because it's like it's weird to like like in like urban planning like you might plan for something to be a commercial area mm-hmm. and that is then certain area is created or you might like give certain like stipends so that certain types of areas can be created yeah or like specifically i'm thinking about like um like chinese areas or like korean areas and cities or like queer areas and cities have been created usually through history or through policy but you Mm. can't determine like you can't go into like a queer area and be like actually um only like i don't know like only lesbians can be here Mm -hmm. like you can't like i mean sure like there's that aspect within it but it's weird to be so specific of like only one person can ever exist in this space Mm -hmm. like it feels like really dystopian to micro determine like the aspects of people to, yeah you know yeah i guess yeah you would have i think the idea is that you would have to be that sort of person to even be interested in putting so much money it's down like chicken and egg, egg, right it's like yeah. you have to do this to get in there and therefore to get in there you become that whether you like it or not true yeah and there'll be a lot of probably cultish social pressure to conform to the disney why are you not wearing your disney ears today (laughs) something go wrong i think you should return indoors before the before goofy comes and tranquilizes you i do think they have like entertainers yeah i think they do but we'll get to that they they are i think they are serviced by entertainers Um, on the streets yeah and just like like their little celebrations and stuff the events they have oh that sounds like hell (laughs) (laughs) So, it's a place where you're one of the Disney's elite customers. Elite customers got to me. I, I highlighted that. Because it's sort of like, yeah, you're, you're, portraying, you're portraying an understanding of this sort of relationship. Because obviously Disney tries to mask it with like, oh, you're part of family. Oh, you're part of the Disney dream. You're part of Disney uh, utopic vision. But like, no. It's just... Just you just feed their wallets. That's it's why just the I basic business model, right? Like yeah. from something as simple that's been used on like Patreon to like tiers of subscribers mm. to like um, not ma- naming names of places I used to work in where you would like pay to be like a member, and then above that you could pay to be like a, a special type of member, and you get an extra privilege, and you get an extra privilege. Mm. But in more of like a modern sense, it's very similar to like crypto communities where True. it's like you pay in and suddenly you're like, oh, well, you know, everyone says good morning to me and I'm suddenly got these friends <laughs> and we own a bank together and we now own this like rare artifact, like blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, yeah, you own that because you paid to own it yeah. and you have to continue paying to be there. <laughs> and if you suddenly were like, actually, I'm not into crypto, I've sold on a currency. They'd be like, well, I don't know the, the weird cultish terminology they have. There's so many like sibilates that they use, but like there's one like, if you don't hold on to your, if you yeah. sell out, you have like the fear basically. And there's this term that you're used for people who sell out instead of holding on. Mm. And they're then like considered non-believers, people who want to like crush the spirits of NFT people. Yeah. Have a special like label and put on them to like, <laughs> which is very like, honestly, like ancient sort of Judaism of sort of like, uh, You've got, like, the believers, the non-believers. Mm. These people are, like, Philistines of the community. Of, like, these are the other, you know? 
And like, it's so funny that we've gone from like ancient tribes of uh, religion to modern day. It's exactly the same. There's, yeah, it's the same mechanisms. Yeah, it's, it's, change. it's the same. We exactly the same amount of cults operate as well. You just can't but poison the well. True. What is a cult anymore? Like, is there a true cult? <laughs> Are cults just people who everyone else considers weird? <laughs> yeah, I suppose cults are just like. The, the, the fanatic groups which have some taboo aspect to them but the, the sort of same fanatism is everywhere they disney calls their engineer i don't know if you know this but i think it's incredibly cringe it's upset me they call their engineers magic Im- workers imagineers oh it's like when subway call their like the, the the main servers like sandwich artists or something oh, yeah. or like what is it Starbucks are called like partners instead of just like barista. When really? Yeah, something like that. They don't own a share, I'm pretty sure, but they're called partners because it's a community, it's a family. All right, I see. <laughs> Support the Starbucks union that's happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> so some fortunate one percenters can claim exactly this, that one of the Imagineers designed their neighborhood. So the rest of us can only hope that our finances one day will allow us to buy in Golden Oak. And I think that's just like the crux of the... Sounds like satire, but I know it isn't. No, 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 it definitely isn't. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like you could have written this. It would be entirely yeah. a different tone with the same words. <laughs> I just think it's, it's, it's so fascinating how they bring you in. And so like this opulence and this like picture of wealth and their whole symbol other than the mouse obviously is like the castle with the little whatever it is little shooting star over it and obviously most of their principal characters are royalty so they bring you in they sell you this image well yeah you're paying for it for this dream and then on in i guess the hope that if you pay enough into the into their fantasy one day things will start becoming Disney in your in your actual life. And I guess the ultimate evolution of that in the Disney ladder is Golden Oak, where you have two million to spend on your Disney or in your Disney fantasy. <laughs> it's such a multifaceted propaganda attack. Because like even I'm just thinking about when you said about the the castle and like, you know, the star going over as their symbol. Mm. In my head immediately I was like whoa I was like even that sounds like some kind of heavenly choral aspect like mm. there's a weird sort of transcendence to it and the idea of like you know every story or at least in classic disney like ends with happily ever after yeah and there's this like you know transcendent striving to the top but it's the question of like which so many like works of art and media have done before of like what happens after happily ever after like if you buy golden oaks you're living in disney if someone's so obsessed with disney this is clearly like beyond your birth of your child marriage <laughs> everything True. this is your goal you get there what do you do like drop dead like how can you continue in life knowing that well you've done it you can't get any higher than this you've made it to disney and then you have to just go through the mundanity of just everyday life it just must be <laughs> so depressing to make it there and then like a weekend you're like well I have no aspirations in life anymore. Yeah, because well, presumably at that point you, you're set enough that you're basically retired. Um, you can go to the park for free every day, obviously, because you live in it. And you're just surrounded by millionaires who also probably are the exact same person as you. <laughs> You're almost a carbon copy um, because to get to this point, surely there, there, was a, lot, there are a lot of filters uh, along the path to golden oak ownership and then so you're just into in in this idyllic neighborhood uh with multiple clones of yourself uh forever <laughs> so i don't i don't know what you do from that point well, but there's only really two types there's either like well okay there's always gonna be a combination of generational wealth to get you up that high but also there's going to be the the other person who like has somehow through nepotism or whatever means, has moved up to through some conglomerate company. Mm-hmm. So either you're going to be complete generational wealth and you just won't have any sort of outlet. So you're just going to exist in Disney. Or you're going to be in some mega conglomerate where you're not going to even be spending that much time in your little Disney apartment anyway. True. So either or, what do you people do? Because they're not, 
don't strike me as people who have hobbies like someone who's just like oh i'm actually really into like you know social policy <laughs> like i'm actually really into like you know karate they just like disney and like what do you do when you just like disney <laughs> all the time so you go hang out with the, the cast and crew <laughs> can you imagine being fucking like the actor for like donald duck and disney and just having to deal with these people all the time <laughs> Yeah, just go to their house and like surprise them, like entertain their kids. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's an interesting point considering the hobbies of some that would live here, uh, because you don't see the fact that Golden Oak is not more known in the public perception. Not yet. There, yeah, well, there are arguably many YouTubers that could afford living at Golden Oak, and it seems like it would be that one. It would be such a big, good YouTube video for them to do, content-wise. Like here's here's my house in Golden Oak. Yeah. <laughs> but then I can imagine it's all just like really rich, like young content creators who are all just like filming filming themselves in their own houses, door to door with each other <laughs> in some weird Matrix X like battery cell of like creativity. Which probably in some weird contract, Disney has like some subline which is like anything filmed on Disney grounds is owned by the Disney conglomerate. Mm. <laughs> I, I think know. they do have limitations on what you can display in your yard and stuff because obviously they have to portray this like this oh, it's like a neighborhood hegemony. association yeah no they do and they have to pay twenty five thousand a year for for the just the association alone obviously you've already bought the house for like two million it's um, like every tim burton film where you know like tim burton has that two pivot of like super gothic dark and then he's got like terrifying suburbia where mm -hmm. all the houses are like perfectly neat and like you know beautiful like um pastel pinks and greens and yellows like edward scissorhands communities or i think big fish is another one he does it with uh -huh. and it's like this terror of suburbia where like everything's normal or like any other film like stepford wives or all these this whole like media shape of like the the, the gothic of suburbia and like the, the hidden menace behind this like perfect life yeah and yet people are still like but i want to live there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fair enough they even have hidden mickeys apparently uh so hidden mickeys yeah hidden mickeys are des are designed into the construction of each home um oh, you show me this yeah and there are gated communities um obviously so the flow of traffic is uh, is controlled within the community what i found most fascinating though uh, something that the Mickey blog uh, put a lot of emphasis on is a benefit of the community is there is a Four Seasons resort located in the middle of Golden Oak. That's so... <laughs> friends and family can visit you? That's so friends and family can visit you, but you don't actually want them at your house, crashing at your house, because... You know, you've paid to be in Golden Oak. They haven't. It sounds so. like prisoner visitation hours. <laughs> like you can stay in the Four Seasons while I'm trapped in Disneyland. So they can then go to the Four Seasons. But I think this line is amazing. Right? Don't, it doesn't seem like it would be written seriously, but I think it was. Disney wanted the wealthy residents of this neighborhood to avoid one glaring problem with living here. Potential house guests. <laughs> As if your friends and family wanting to come visit you at Golden Oak is, is the biggest problem you would have in Golden Oak. That just says everything you need to know about the community they're creating, which is just like, yeah, we're all about family and community, but we don't actually want you to have real world connections because real people are icky. Yeah, real people are not Golden <laughs> Oak material. It's like freaking Parasite. They're just like, oh, they smell. Like, we don't want the normal person being around me. But also, who is like, because these are two million dollar houses and these yeah, are all starting yeah. multi-millionaires like obviously mm -hmm. so therefore these people probably don't have a lot of life skills so who are the teams of like you know maids uh plumbers electricians um lawn care people pool cleaners like all that help that has to come with maintaining you know who, are, who are, do they count under these laws like do they you know do they have to like wear like mickey mouse hats and pretend not to be seen or work at night that would be amazing i don't know it's the maybe mickey they have mouse underground truck things maybe <laughs> the vlog didn't, didn't touch on that it just to be fair he's encouraging you to put your guests at the hotel it's not a requirement 
can sleep in one of your many extra bedrooms if, if they want. Those are for uh, your stuffed toy collections. <laughs> yeah, that's for the giant Mickey plushie. Or plushies. It wouldn't be a plushie. It'd probably just be an animatronic. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping for a Five Nights at Freddy's takeover. Yeah. No, that be, oh, that, that, oh that's, a, that's a Steamboat Willie idea right there. But yeah, the crux of that is moving from Epcot as the Disney's utopic vision and then the actual community they did create, which is just the most clearest example of a, an elite cultish neighborhood presents the idea that this is what Disney thinks the world should be. And that's what they're trying to sell to everyone or to the masses, I guess, because if you buy into that, into the hope, it's just like the American dream, you buy into the Disney fantasy in the hope that one day you may fulfill the Disney fantasy and therefore the, the money that the masses puts into Disney then gets redistributed up into these little experiments that they do that are exclusively designed for rich people. It's um, honestly more terrifying than the older Disney model of like the Disney princess because at least there is some acknowledgement even in a child of like what a princess or a prince or a king is mm. and that you cannot like at least except for young children but like as you get older you know you cannot become like a princess but if this is like the way they're going and they're doing the whole like thing of like oh we don't have princesses anymore now we just have rich people <laughs> and it's just like and this idea that like oh but i can obtain that because that's how the world is built but it's equally as unobtainable as being a princess mm. but yet it has this premise of like but you can actually, in technicality, achieve this. You, yeah. you can generate money. You cannot generate a royal title. And it's just like... It's I, next to impossible, but it's still not impossible. Well, it has the technicality of possibility and therefore yeah. is easy sellable. And also has pseudo, like, sort of gender equality of like, well, anyone can make money. Mm. You know, you don't have to marry into it. You know, everyone's equal in the pursuit of Golden Oaks. <laughs> Golden Oaks being the yeah the the pinnacle of Disney, these Disney fandom, but yeah so that's I think that's also a malevolent aspect to Disney this this deception that they pull of being funded by selling dr inattainable dreams that coupled with the fact that they then use this ill-begotten wealth uh, to manipulate law to their remain themselves to establish themselves continuously in like culture as the dominant entertainment power um just doesn't bode well for the future but there are people who oppose it like us today and also a man i want to shout out uh what's his name <laughs> is this the youtuber no in 1971 there was a pair um, a group of cartoonists that did a story called The Air Pirates, and it was Mickey and the Air Pirates. Uh, it was a parody of Mickey Mouse where he'd like do drugs and like, you know, be engaged in like violence and stuff, just parodying the, the hypocrisy uh, of Disney. And he fought them in court and everything, and it became such a nuisance. He kept losing, but. He kept also making more and more of these comics against like restraining orders they put on him. And it became such a nuisance that eventually Disney was like, oh, just stop. But, and if you stop, we're going to let it go. Uh, and then eventually he, he did stop. And then uh, he was talking to, to a, a lawyer after the judgment. So uh, no, a professor at the, at the school of law. And he was like, oh, I won the case. And then the lawyer was like, no, no, you didn't. You lost. <laughs> he was like, no, I won. It's like, no, you lost. And then he was like, oh, no, uh, I didn't. Because I didn't go to jail, I therefore win, even though you lost the case itself. I like didn't. that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he, he's he, O'Neill is his surname. They just refer to him as O'Neill. Um, but yeah, he's, he's now a personal hero of mine. Or sticking it to Disney at a time where like it was no nowhere close to ever 
being legal. Um, well, parodies are under fair use anyway, but I mean, like, just, like, being able to freely use the Mickey image. Uh, he was doing it back when... Back in the day. Yeah, back when it, when it wasn't possible. That, that's me wrapping up, though. Get my Mickey on. I don't think I can go that high.